you have your Bibles, go to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to wrap up our series next week. We start the book of James. We're going to take James to the end of the year. I think last night we were at a birthday party. My wife's like, so what's the Christmas series this year? I didn't realize she was talking about decorating the church. And she, I'm like, it's on James. She goes, I know you're preaching James next, but what's the Christmas series? I'm like, James is to the end of the year. She's like, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, well, talk about Christmas. Christmas candlelight service. We'll definitely preach Christmas. But uh, I've had it in my heart for years to do the book of James. And I think it's one of the most practical books of the Bible. Uh, right in the beginning, James, 1 and two, James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He talks about these are the words to a scattered church. And so I'm going to do a message series. The series is called Words to a Scattered Church. Let me tell you this. In 2023, the American church has been scattered. Scattered by fear, scattered by wondering, scattered by COVID, scattered by opinion, scattered by laziness, scattered by high sensitivities to things, scattered by lots of stuff. And the Jerusalem church was scattered. And so James writes this very practical book of the Bible on how to live for Jesus in the midst of being scattered. I think it's going to be just a really, really good direction from the Holy Spirit for our lives. Could you stand with me for the reading of the word? We haven't done this in a few weeks. I'm so excited to preach. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, each of us, and get there a log, and let us make a place to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Please go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and they came to the Jordan, cut down trees, and as one was felling a log... Didn't realize that was the term. Felling a log, his axe head fell in the water and he cried out, Alas, 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 my British. I read this just fine this week, by the way. Alas, my master, it was borrowed. And apparently when you're panicking, you put your hands in the air. And when he, it's a rough start today. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed them the place, he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. Once the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with the servants, saying, at such and such a place will be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told them thus, he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And, and one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who was in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send him, send and seize him. And it was told, Behold, he is there in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots in a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city. And he said to his, and his servant said, Alas, hands again, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are for them. And when Elisha prayed and said, Lord, oh, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. 
Such a good word. And I honestly, I've never preached this at K-First in terms of a message because uh, every time I preach, I date my Bible. So we've never preached in my life. I told my wife, I've never preached about this axe falling off and floating. But alas, we're going to do that this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we open up our hearts today. ask that you would just transform us, that you would help us, Lord, to help get a grip on our emotions, on our mentality, on our spiritual lives, on our physical lives, God. And we recognize that even when we lose our grip, that you're right there to hold on to us. And so we, sp we say, speak, you, Lord. speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We're ready to receive today. We don't want to leave this place. The same condition that we walked in, help us to become more like you, God. That's what our hearts cry. We want to be with you to become like you. We speak that in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Before you're seated, turn around, give someone a high five, and tell them how terrible the flavor of pumpkin is. Go for it. Some of y'all just woke up. Man. I'm going to get anonymous notes and tithing envelopes. How many in the house you own a pickup truck? Anybody own a pickup truck? All right, if you need to move, look around. Those are the ones you call. I'm kidding. Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't. <laughs> don't, don't. Don't do that to them. How many of you, you've ever moved and you vowed you would never move ever again? Oh, my word. I mean, I, I grew up in the same same place, same single wide my entire life. I don't count moving to a dorm for a couple years as moving because I came back home. So I didn't, I've never moved in my life until a couple months before we got married. I moved into our apartment and then Anne moved for the first time in her life, really, the day after the honeymoon. It was, we'd never known moving, but we've lived in a handful of, of, of apartments and houses over the years. And every time we move, we just, we get to that last box. We're like, we're never doing this again. I will leave you if we do this again. <laughs> Which the rule in the house is if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. So that's... <laughs> It's always been the rule. But, I mean, we think about the worst things to move. I think I know the worst thing. In fact, whenever I'm helping somebody move, like when Pastor Olivia was moving to Kalamazoo, you kind of eye the truck and the trailer, and you're trying to time out getting to that thing you want to avoid in such a way like, okay, that's next. Let me spend a little bit more time in the basement talking and and you know, pushing a box here or there, but you know you're going to end up going out there and having to carry the queen or the king-size mattress. No way to grip the thing, and they always want it in spots around corners, or um, she was also helping somebody else move that was coming back to Kalamazoo, and so we were putting all their stuff into the basement, and so Working a king-size mattress, you don't want to drag that sucker on the ground. People got to sleep in this thing. And then, but you got to go down into the basement. So you got the ceiling of the passageway down. You got rails. You've got the, what do you call it, the stairs. And so you got the person down below bearing all the weight, and the other person's trying to grip it. And, and at some point, somebody just screams out the words, it's slipping. <laughs> Which is the worst when you're at the bottom. Because... What do you do? You don't just get out of the way. You can't get out of the way. It's just, your grip is slipping. And I think we've all been there. And whenever we've moved things around the house, uh, by the way, my, my wife is a serial reorganizer. Um, I watch football for fun. She reorganizes for fun. And so I've been praying for deliverance for years. Uh, but whenever she's got to move something, it's like, she's like, 
get anything, get Cammy, just move these things. And so, you know, we're, we're moving down steps because we live in a bi-level. So we're going down one, we're going down another, and we're going around. And, and more often than not, at some point you hear someone say, whoa, 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 it's slipping. We've all been there. But when I think about our emotional turmoils and things that go in our lives, how many of us know that we've gone through things or we can go through situations, we can go through circumstances that we can find ourselves Maybe holding on to reality well, but an event happens, a moment happens, and you begin to feel emotionally things slipping. Sometimes mentally things slipping. How many of us in the house that we've gone through different situations in our life, or we've watched our kids go through something, we've gone through something within our marriage, and spiritually we, it seems like we can't get a grip on anything, we feel like things are simply slipping. The pressure and demands of relationships, jobs, expectations, family responsibilities, world events. Man, I'm telling you, the amount of people, when everything happened in Israel a few weeks ago, that just messaging me, or I just look on social media, and the amount of things that happen, fear that can grip our hearts, and all of a sudden we feel like we had a grasp of reality, all of a sudden something has taken place, and now that grasp seems to be slipping. My main point for this entirety of the main message it's really wrapped up in simply this, is that when our faith fails, God continues on. And when you can't get your grip, depend upon his. When you feel your faith slipping and you're going into a dark place, when you feel like your faith is slipping because things didn't work out the way you thought they would, when you feel like life is slipping, the things in your marriage are slipping, when you feel like giving up and you're losing your grip, I'm here to say you can lose your grip, but God does not ever lose his grip upon you. And so the question that I want to pose to you today is, is what do you do when you feel like the reality that you're gripping onto is slowly slipping through your fingers? Because I'm here to say that I've gone to some of my darkest moments because I felt like things were slipping and I felt helpless. And th these are the moments that I have to remind myself that I can feel things slipping, but God's hand is still firmly upon my life. And so we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 6, which we have two stories that seem like they're not even related whatsoever. One story, a guy is chopping wood, and the axe falls off the handle and falls into the water. And then we got this other story that we've told the story a few times. On Sundays, we've never actually preached out of this, but a story about the prophet and his servant. They're just... They're taking a nap, and, and all of a sudden, their servant's going to go out and get the paper. He looks out, and they're, they're surrounded by armies, and all of a sudden, he's just losing it. We've got two stories, so drastically different, but I believe there's so much relationship here in between them both. Because within them, we can find lessons to help to understand how do we navigate life when we feel like life is slipping. If you are a note taker, and I hope you are, you remember 87% more of what you write down. Take notes this morning. We should write this down. Number one, the first lesson is this. Little things can cause big problems. <coughs> Excuse me. Little things can cause big problems. In life, I'm here to say so many of us are trying to avoid the huge or big or the massive problems. And you know what? Sometimes we can avoid things. Sometimes we can't. But I've learned this, that it's not the big things that can wreck us. Sometimes it's the slow buildup of small, steady things. Whenever I face my depression, whenever uh, in our house, we'll say it this way, when, when the funk seems to be cropping up and rising up, many times my wife will just kind of stir me a little bit and she'll say, what happened? What happened? And a minority of the time, I could tell her the one thing that happened. It was a phone call. It was an email. It was the Lions losing to the Ravens. 
By the way, don't ask me about that game anymore. I can't talk about it. Um, it'll be, somebody came to the office, somebody sent something in the mail, and it's one thing. That's a minority of the time. But a majority of the time, I know what I say to her? I don't know. I don't know. And many times I'm talking with a counselor, I'm talking with some of my accountability partners, and as we're talking, often it, all of a sudden it begins to come through. It wasn't a moment that sent me into a dark place. It wasn't a moment that, that made the depression come up. It was the small little things in life that I took for granted, and all of a sudden those small things begin to build up over time, and, and all of a sudden a moment happens, a letter happens, an email happens, a Facebook post happens, something happens that begins to topple over the jingle, Jenga pile that is my emotions. And in this moment, it seems so small. It's a loose axe head that turned into a big problem. Why was it a problem? Because this guy is, he's trying to do something very good. In fact, if you read the scripture, they essentially have like a leadership college that they've developed. A prophet has developed a leadership school. And all of a sudden, their, their leadership school is growing. And this is a dream of mine. It's just growing, and they're just, it's flourishing. And they need to build a place to put more young leaders so that they can grow them and mature them and send them out as men and women of God. And so they said, let's just go to the woods. Let's chop stuff down. Let's fell the trees. That's the terminology. We're going to fell the trees. And so this guy, he doesn't even own his own axe. So he borrows a friend. How many of you regret ever letting a friend borrow something of yours? All right, besides me. So he is, he, he is chopping a tree down, and he swings. The axe head flies off into the nearby lake. And so not only is he not able to finish the project, he now has to pay somebody back for their lost axe head. Now this is what's wild. Did you know that the law of Moses covered stuff like this? Ever do a study of axe heads? Me neither. Till now, Exodus 22, verse 14. If a man borrows anything from his neighbor um, and is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. So if you hurt or harm or lose something that you borrowed or you borrowed something and hurt somebody with it, you have to make things good. So if you lose somebody's ax, you got to buy them a new ax head. If you borrow somebody's drill, my neighbor, and breaks their drill, my neighbor, you're supposed to buy a new drill. Did not happen, by the way. So when we got this situation where it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing. You know what's crazy about the law of Moses? Is it still keeps covering other stuff about ax heads. Get a hold of this. Deuteronomy 19, verse 5. If someone goes out into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and he swings the ax to cut it down, the axe head slips from the handle. If it strikes the neighbor and he dies, he may flee to a nearby city of refuge and that he may live. Now here's my question for the Old Testament. Why can't you build axe heads correctly? I mean, if you have to make laws around axe heads, make a quality axe head. Head to Ace Hardware. By the way, they don't like me there. I went there one time. Well, how long of the piece do you need it? I said, it's three and a half iPhones long. That guy looked at me like my father looked at me so many times. <laughs> now, what I love about those, 
those simple little scriptures is number one, God thought of everything. Secondly, again, they need better technology to build axes. But this guy's panicking, and so he has to replace the axe head, and he still needs to contribute a beam to the project at hand. But I'm here to say this. Sometimes, it's not the big things. It's the little things in life that can pile up. It's the little things that can cause big problems. And that's why when it comes to the little things in our life, that God cares about the big moments, but God also cares about the every single day moments in your life, the way that you navigate life, the way you respond to your spouse, the way you talk to your spouse, the way you raise your kids, the way you, the way you speak to them, the way you give your yeses and your noes, the way you act at work, the way you respond to your coworkers, the way you treat people in public. It is the little things in life that can, that can accumulate and build up a life or the things that, actually, that can actually crumble our lives. The little things can cause big problems. Leads me to number two. Bad things happen when you're out doing good. What they're doing is a good thing. And how many of you know bad things happen sometimes when you're out doing good? I think sometimes we get this idea that if I'm doing something for Jesus, then no bad can ever come my way. Brothers and sisters, this is not the real world. Do you know what? What's amazing is world philosophies, new age, and honestly sometimes even demonic ideas, we bring them into Christianity and then we make them about Jesus. Let me give you a very new age mentality I've heard a lot in church over the years. It's the word karma. Karma is not biblical. Karma is new age. And yet so often, we work karma into the equation. How do I know that? Because, Pastor, I've been serving Jesus for so long. I've been doing this and this and this for him. And all of a sudden, boom, this happened in my life. Where was Jesus in the middle of that? I'm like, well, talk to me about it. Well, I did all of this good. All this good should come my way. We bring it into Christianity. And I'm here to say this. Don't be surprised when you're doing something for Jesus that bad things come your way. Not because Jesus doesn't like you, but there is an enemy to your soul that doesn't want you living for Jesus. And we have to stop asking the question, what did I do wrong? And start asking the question, what did I do right that the enemy now sees me as a threat? If the enemy attacks Pastor, I started serving in kids' ministry, and all of a sudden, all these things just started attacking me. Maybe that's the Lord telling me that I shouldn't be doing this any longer. I'm like, no, 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 no. When you are raising up a level of obedience to the Lord, the enemy will come at you like a flood. The promise is he will set up a standard. But know this, don't turn down what you're doing. Begin to turn that up. Show faithfulness. Show, show, show obedience to the Lord and go after it. Because I was told this years ago. I don't know how theologically correct it is, but if they ain't shooting at you, you ain't doing anything right. Somewhere in the scripture, maybe. But I'll, tell you, I'll say this. The enemy doesn't fire at dead objects. The enemy don't, he doesn't fire at dead objects. He goes after the living. He goes after everybody that doesn't just want faith in Jesus, but, but chooses to live like Jesus every single day of their life. So bad things happen sometimes when you're doing good things. Number three, everything in your hand is borrowed. Everything in your hand is borrowed. The axe was borrowed. You have no idea how bad I wanted to bring an axe up here and swing it, but the hearing about loose axes in multiple spots made me want, not want to do this. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. This so, it's just such a simple, simple little lesson that this axe in his hand was borrowed. It's such a simple lesson that everything that is in your hand is actually borrowed. 
John the Baptist actually said this, book of John, chapter 3, verse 27. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Everything that has been given to you is from the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. Why is it easy for me to tithe? It hasn't, I'll, I'll be honest, it wasn't easy for me to tithe years ago. We first got married, we first got into ministry. It wasn't easy to tithe. Why? Because all I could see was my bills and the things that I needed to do until I realized that it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to God. And the reason why it's easy for me to tithe is because he, God could ask for 90% and he asked for 10. And so when I look at my wallet, I recognize that what's in my wallet, it belongs to the Lord. Wallet, I don't even have a wallet. It's all on my phone for Pete's sake. Everything that Apple Pay is connected to is from the Lord. Your talents are from the Lord. Your abilities, from the Lord. Your skills, from the Lord. Give to Him what is His and serve the Lord with every part of your life. It's all borrowed. It's borrowed. Act as a steward of what he has given you. Because when you tithe and when you give, listen, yes, we, we, we bless missionaries, but know what we also do? We keep the lights on. We, we upkeep the building. We, we upkeep ministries. We send people out. It helps us to bring people in. When people call us with needs, we're able to bless people because what we do is we take what God's given to us and we also offer that to the Lord and we also live faithfully out here in everyday life. We're here to be faithful with everything that he has given us. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different from you? What, what do you have that you did not receive that if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, stop bragging about what you've been given. Recognize it's all from the Lord. Even the air in the lungs and the lungs containing that air, it all belongs to Jesus. Live in that way. And some of us are going to dark places because we are so bent upon what we are losing and what belongs to us and what we've got to get back. And I'm here to say this, that God is here to give you life. He's here to restore life. And he wants you to recognize that, that which he gives. You, you don't worry when you lose it because it was never yours. It was his. And God is our vindicator. He is our source. And he is our life. Back in Bible college, my senior year, Ann came to Bible college uh, my senior year. And every Friday, what did we do, babe? Do you remember where we went every Friday? Yes. We go to Battlefield Mall, and we go to Sears. Why? Terrible place to start a date, by the way. My roommate, so him and his girlfriend, now wife, and me and my girlfriend, my now wife, we would go, because my roommate, Sean, would fix cars throughout the week. That's how he kind of put himself through school. So, like, my, my answer machine in my, in my room was just literally just people wanting to get their car fixed, and so Sean just get out of class and just go fix cars nonstop, which was fun until he started rebuilding carburetors in the room and you're just breathing in fumes all throughout the day and that's all, that's just life. And but throughout the week he would damage a tool and so he bought all craftsmen because in that day if you broke a hand tool, you walk into Sears, go to the craftsman counter, you hand them the screwdriver, you hand them the socket, you hand them whatever it is and they would come back with a brand new one and just give it to you. Why? Because, because craftsmen was true to all their warranty. Something gets damaged, we will back up our name with our supply. Can I say this about God? When you put your faith in Jesus, his identity is stamped upon yours. And he will back up your need, your issues with his supply. His name matters on your life. 
His name matters in your, in your, in your, your finances, in your, in your physical state, in your emotional state. His name matters. The scripture says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will someday confess that he is Lord. There is power in the name of Jesus. And I'm here to say this, that we can look at our life as borrowed, it belongs to him. But that's the beauty. He is the warranty coverer. He is the one that owns us. And he's the one that whenever we get attacked, he doesn't say, come to me after the attack. He will stand in the middle of the battle for us. And that is a freeing experience to go, to go through. In fact, I'm here to say this, to, through COVID and everything, it honestly shook me as a pastor, and I it went through a lot of thoughts went through my brain during those seasons. And the one thing that I kept having to remind myself is what, the, what Jesus said about the church. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why do I, why does Pastor David not wring his hands when he sees things in the news? Well, well, Pastor, what if one day they take away our tax-free thing? What if they take this away? What if they do this? What if they do this? I'm here to say, I don't wring my hands because it's a refreshing thing to know that it's not my responsibility to build the church. It is God's responsibility to build this church. Our responsibility is to be faithful. His responsibility is to actually to build. And that is freeing and empowering and rejuvenating to know that everything is borrowed and so we can trust God for the harvest and for the results. Number four, axes don't get lost, just get lost, they get dull. Axes just don't get lost, they get dull. Every spring, it's so exciting. I don't know if there's anybody in the world that gets more excited in the spring about being able to cut their lawn like Dave Barringer does. Just cut it yesterday, I rented an edger to get fine lines and now I'm praying Google Earth will take a fresh picture. Literally how I feel every time I cut the grass. I love cutting the grass. It is so relaxing. I put podcasts on. Sometimes I sing at the top of my lungs. My neighbors want to move. It's wonderful. Love cutting the grass. But every spring, what I do is I sharpen the blades. Why? Because you can't get a good cut. You can't get a straight cut. You can't get an even cut without sharpening the blades. And yet for some of us here, we are content with what the world has done to dull us and to dull the sharpness of our lives. And there's times that I've gone into dark places not because of any big thing that's happened. Honestly, because I haven't taken care of myself well enough and life has become a bit dull. Ecclesiastes 10.10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one succeed. I've learned this years ago that sharpening a blade doesn't make it more dangerous. Having a dull blade is more dangerous. And some of us spiritually are keeping our lives dull because we're not in the Word, we're not in prayer, we're not, being, we're not serving, and it can easily dull our lives, and life can just simply slip away, and we can get ourselves to the place where we're at the end of our rope because we're working so hard or we're not seeing the results. But I'm here to say, we have to keep our lives sharpened. We have to keep ourselves in the presence of God. We've got to keep ourselves in good, solid therapy. We've got to keep ourselves eating right and acting right and operating right so that we stay sharpened and we don't have to work more than we need to on that. Which leads me toward number five. God can help you recover what's lost. He can help you recover what's lost. Elisha, who is the man of God, he was the one, he was the Padawan to Elijah. So Elisha follows along. And I love Elisha's response because the guy's like, Master, come on over. I lost, I lost the, attic, the axe. The axe had fallen in the water. I don't know what to do. And he had to walk up saying, you idiot. That was my Ren Stimpy impersonation, by the way. He's like, what is wrong with you? 
Did you not check the axe head? And for which I would have said it if I was the servant. Did you not see the law of Moses? This is a problem. But Elisha didn't. You know what he says? Show me where you dropped it. I see such an image of the Father right here. That when I've been in my darkest moments of my life, I feel like I've lost myself. The song that was saying, when I thought I lost me, you know where to meet me. And I love that when I feel lost and I feel broken, I feel like I've lost my sanity. I feel like I've lost my joy. I feel like I lost my hope. God does not stand over saying, you idiots. No, he does. He gets down with me. And he picks me up. He show me where you lost it. I feel like I was losing it in my marriage. I feel like I was losing it in my job. I feel like I was losing it here. And God walks me over and begins to commune with me in these moments. God, I failed. Tell me how you did it. God, I'm brokenhearted. Tell me how it happened. This is just God. This is God's response. Not just, and it doesn't just show God's response to us. It shows me that we can go to God with everything that we feel like we failed with him at. The man of God who spoke for God did not berate him, didn't tell him you should have been too close to the water, doesn't unload on him, doesn't tell him, well, you should have worked harder. He helps him and just simply says, where did you lose it? Listen, God can help you recover what you've lost. Pastor, I've lost my confidence. He can help you recover it. I've lost my energy. He can help you recover it. I've lost my patience. He can help you recover it. I've lost my temper. He can help you recover it. I've lost my self-control. He can help you, help you recover it. I've lost my purity. He can help you recover it. I feel like I've lost my salvation. He can help you recover it all. I've lost my hope. He can help you recover it. And I'm daring you to believe for God for the things you thought you lost. I lost one of my children, and I don't know if they're living for Jesus. He specializes in prodigals. I feel like I'm losing my marriage. He can help you recover a marriage. I feel like I lost any desire to see tomorrow. He can give you life. We used to sing the song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. He can give you a joy in life. I've lost my passion. He can help you recover it. I've lost my faith. He can help you recover it. And lastly, Pastor Livy, if you can join me up here. Number six, what we see is not all that there is. Because some of you are thinking, you haven't even gotten to the other story yet. That's for the next hour of this message. I'm kidding. I'm not, not, not going to do that to you. <laughs> we have a servant, and so we don't know if it's the same servant who lost the axe head. It's the same servant who begins to panic when he walks outside to get the morning paper and he sees that there's an army that has surrounded the entirety of the city and there's no hope of escape, we're going to die. We don't know if it's the same servant, but I tend to believe it was. In one moment, the servant loses his grip and the other servant, the other situation, the servant loses his mind. Have you ever been in a place where you lost your grip on a moment that you also lost your sanity and any hope? And he goes, and he looks outside, and the hills are alive with the sound of armies surrounding them. Take that, Von Traps. <laughs> and he panics, and he tells Elisha, we're doomed. 
All I can see is what's surrounding me and surrounding you. We're doomed. And Elisha prays a prayer that must have confused the servant because he, Elijah says, Lord, help my servant to see. And the servant's got to say, whoa, whoa, no, that's not the problem. I'm seeing really good right now. But this, so the servant is confused. I see just fine. But I want you to understand this. First of all, the moral of this story is not for you to pretend that situations don't exist. A guy diagnoses, I don't receive it. I'm going to pretend like that doesn't exist. That's not faith. That's weird. You get a bill in the mail. I'm just going to put this before the Lord and pretend that bill does not exist. Please pretend it exists. No, it exists. Real reality, real faith, is, it's not pretending that stuff doesn't exist. Problems are real. Bills are real. Decisions your teenager is making is real. The stock market is real. The White House and things going on there is real. But what the, the, the prophet is praying is he wants real reality. Real in reality, yes, it includes bills, it includes sickness, it includes decisions, it includes the stock market and all of that. But real reality also includes God's kingdom, God's work, God's will, God's power, God's plan. Where a servant lost his head in one situation, he wants the ability to see past the soldiers. Now this is what's so cool about this. Is the angels, the angels didn't show up when Elisha prayed. Think about that. Some of y'all think God only shows up when you pray. Some of y'all need to realize that when you pray, it's not praying for God to show up. I think the prayer is for us to recognize that God is already here. And so when he says, open up his eyes, all of, all of a sudden, the hills are alive with the sound of chariots of fire. And it begins to see that I may feel surrounded, but there's something that's surrounding my enemy right now. It's the reminder that you may not see God in the middle of your darkness. You may not see God in the middle of your mistake. You may not see God in the middle of your situation, but know this. There's a God that has already responded. He's already sent angels. He's already sent His Spirit. He's already sent His power. And sometimes real reality is recognizing I've got a bill, but know what? You are my great provider. And I'm going to go to work tomorrow. It's recognizing and doing what we are called to do. God is always at work even if we can't see it. So how do we get a grip? I wrap up with this. Number one, lean into God's power. We don't rely on our strength. We don't rely on our own abilities. We rely on His Spirit, His Son, and we worship with Him in the middle of those situations. Number two, we need vulnerability and community. I love that this servant had to own up to Elisha in both situations. I've lost my axe head. I'm losing my mind. And that there's so many of us that are doing everything in isolation from the community. Why do we have partners so we can lean into one another? This is a safe place to lean into prayer partners to say, here's what I've lost. Can you stand with me and pray with me on this? Number four, three, make intelligent choices. We need to make intelligent choices. Don't just pray and then go watch Netflix. Leave it in God's hand. We can't just pray for strength. And then we fill our lives with the toxicity that comes from social media. We have to learn to step out and to do the practical things. Elisha reached out to make an axe head float. And you may not be able to make an axe head float, but you can eat healthier. You can sleep at the proper time. 
You can set up relational boundaries. You can eat a meal with somebody. You can look for someone to encourage. You can open up God's Word before work. You can put on a worship song in the car on your way to work instead of listening to the news and get frustrated even before you show up. And lastly, I encourage you in the name of the Lord, get professional help. You can use the QR code on the back of your seats right now. We've got a list on there. It goes to speakingfromtheshadows.com. You can find a local Christian counselor to get help. How do I know that's okay? Number one, I do it myself, and I think you should as well. Because there's no stigma in this church for getting help and getting healing. I call upon people to pray for me. I call upon people to counsel me. And we need to be in a position where we look at ourselves like this servant and recognize that I can't deal with the situation on my own. I need somebody that can see beyond what I can see. Someone who could speak what I don't know what to speak. Someone to be what I can't be in the moment. And that's what we believe in this church is the enemy works in isolation and God works in community. So that when your faith fails, you'll understand that God continues on. And when you feel like you lose your grip, you can always depend upon his. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time for the opportunity, Lord, just to sit in your presence and to receive from you.